Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the Mark Weber. Dub them ease. And welcome back to the Onside Kick here on Most Valuable Podcast. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, first off, hello. It is great to see your wonderful faces yet again today. And if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or MostValuablePodcast.com, thank you guys for giving us the download and or the listen today. And Mark, we are continuing our season previews coming into the 2017 NFL season. And I say that we're, we're far away from it. It's nowhere close. Yeah. It's not as close as well, the college we're, we're season. We're getting there. I'm itching for some football. Like basketball might be done as we record this podcast Monday evening. Mm-hmm. And and we're all tired of it, right? I, you I'm guys itch- are tired of basketball at this point. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm itching for yeah. some, uh, some tackling and uh, some physicality out there. But we are going to preview the NFC West on this podcast and how we're going to do it is we'll walk through the division, Niners, uh, Rams, Cardinals, Seahawks. And for the Seahawks fans, we have a special guest, Lars Russell from fieldgoals.com will join us to end the podcast to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. But Mark, let's get right into it. We're going to start with the 49ers. 49ers, new face. They got new um, operations, new GM in um, John Lynch. Hit a home run in the draft. That's all people talked about after the draft of, wow, how good John Lynch did without being anywhere near a GM role before taking the one here for the um, 49ers. They also have new coach Kyle Shanahan coming in. This team bringing in a lot of free agents, and I kind of joked around with you before we hit the record button of they're the Chicago Bears of the West. They bring in Robbie Gold. They got Brian Hoyer's here. Matt Barkley's here. However, they do bring in guys like me. I look at the wide receiver Pierre Garçon coming in. That's a even though how old he is getting, he, that's a solid pickup of a veteran for this team. That really the thing that I kind of asked about the 49ers, and I don't mean this in any ill will towards 49er fans, but we're kind of expecting another meh kind of not so great season yeah. from the 49ers. Am I correct? Well, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the expectation coming forward. Uh, there certainly is hope and a little bit of optimism mm-hmm. in, in the Bay Area right now. Um, but but you look at this team last year, and I know that a lot has changed uh, since last year, but uh, despite having a good running game, a very good running game, uh, worst passing attack in the NFL, uh Pretty much the worst defense in the NFL. They didn't score touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much a combination of everything bad happening. That run game was a surprising bright spot for the team. Uh, there was so much going wrong, so much issue, so much, uh, so many problems in the locker room. The the thing that I look at though is, and you mentioned the draft, and the, they did a good job in the draft as it stands right now. Um, 
if you if you're a fan of the onside kick, you know my opinions on Solomon <laughs> Thomas, and you know that I like him. Not at three overall. But, but here's the thing I look at with that, and I know we talked about this in the past, but I'm mm-hmm. going to say it again. Trading back to, to be the devil's from advocate. Two to three. I like it better at three uh-huh. getting picks from the Bears than taking him at two and not Although, getting anything from the after Bears. After that, I'm sure John Lynch was like, damn. After he saw like the Houston uh-huh. Texans and the Chiefs, like, I could have got gotten a lot more for that. <laughs> and then you know what? He probably could have. Mm-hmm. Ryan Pace probably would have paid up big bucks. Uh, not that he didn't pay a good chunk anyways, but I'm a little nervous about Solomon Thomas. That's not surprising to anybody, but for the 49ers, it was the move they wanted to make. It mm-hmm. was the guy for them. So I get it. I do. Uh, you know, but I think that when we when we look at the draft, uh, we're going to respond well to the trades and stuff like that. But I think Solomon Thomas's success is going to play a big part for how we view this draft for the 49ers three, four, five years from now. Well, and that's exactly it. We're right now looking at their draft class. The big one that everyone talks about is Solomon Thomas. However, mm-hmm. what they were able to do is not just get those picks from the Bears. They also traded up and kind of snatched Reuben Foster Which is a away good from yeah. the New Orleans Saints. Like There was the whole story around him of like, yeah, you know what? My girlfriend was on the phone with the Saints. They wanted to ask her questions. And then while she was on the phone, she kind of muted it and showed it to me. And the Niners were on call waiting. And he hung up on the Saints to answer the 49ers call. And eventually Wouldn't it have been it. funny if the 49ers were like, hey, man, if you're still there, <laughs> we'll grab you. And then he's got to call back and like, oh, hey, I was going, hey, I was going under, I'm going under a tunnel, uh-huh. you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. I think those two players are going to be a big role in how we view this draft class. Mm-hmm. Obviously anybody who whiffs is gonna, you know, we're going to criticize them later. Yeah. Uh, the big thing for the 49ers that I look at is, especially when we're looking for forward to next season is you got Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. um, and he's pretty much in complete control of this offense. Uh, but you look at these wide receivers, and I like Pierre Garçon, you know. I, I mean, I'm not thrilled about him. Well, I'm not hanging up posters of him the, on my wall. And this but. season, I feel like this season for the 49ers is going to be all about growth. And one of the positions I look at is quarterback. Which is exactly what I was going to get to. You have Brian Hoyer, you have Matt Barkley, However, the quarterback I'm looking at, and I know that maybe Niner fans might give me a little crap for this because, let's be honest, we're already looking to next season either the Niners being bad enough to get one of the top quarterbacks like uh, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Jackson, whoever does well this year in college football, or being able to sign Kirk Cousins if he doesn't get a Mm long-term deal with the Redskins. However, I look at C.J. Beathard because in the third round, they take a – I'm going to say take a flyer on this kid because there was really no reason – like they could take a flyer on a quarterback in the third or later round knowing that, hey, even if he doesn't play, we got Hoyer, we got Barkley. Without how Shanahan has worked with quarterbacks in the past with the Redskins and then with Matt Ryan at Atlanta – C.J. Beathard's the one I look at and I go, maybe we can see some development out of this kid. And the thing that might be interesting as well is he might be thrown into the tooth sooner than needed because 
Hoyer got injured last season. Yep. Matt Barkley, I believe, got injured it's as not well the first for the time Bears. That either one of those guys have gotten hurt. It's so not the first time either one of them have lost jobs. So there's a chance that both those guys go down this season and mm-hmm. we see CJ Beathard in a Niners jersey starting a game this season. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to when I mentioned Pierre Garçon because there's not really Well, he's these, the go to guy. These great weapons that you're excited about. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Ellington, uh He's got his fans out there. Well, they also um, brought in uh, Marquise Goodwin from Buffalo, but Marquise Goodwin's not like the he's my number one yeah. guy. So when it comes to the quarterbacks, uh, you know, both these guys have shown moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Barkley showed like one moment, um, mm-hmm. and Bre- and uh, Brian Hoyer's shown a couple, but. Neither one of these guys are that exciting. Neither one of these guys have much promise to be there for you all the time. Um, it's it's a risky situation for this offense, which already had the worst passing attack in the NFL last year. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when you do that, no one's going to criticize you for cleaning house and going somewhere else. I just don't necessarily know that I see it getting all that much better, um, which is okay because, like you said, it's about growth. It's just about getting the other pieces, mm-hmm. and they got a lot of pieces, especially on defense. Um, but you just look at it and you think, okay, they're going to get a new quarterback next year. So, you know, you're talking about Beathard, but it doesn't matter. He's not playing. He's, I mean, he might start this game bec- or this season because Brian say, Hoyer gets hurt. Matt Barkley loses a job for throwing say, too many interceptions. I say, but it's they're going to draft a quarterback next year. I say it's interesting because the reason why I say that is because we don't know exactly what is going to happen for the Niners this season. Like looking at their schedule, do I expect them to win a lot of games? No, because their schedule isn't the easiest. I mean, the Panthers are going to be tough. They play the Seahawks twice a year, Cardinals twice a year. You have the Titans on your schedule, the Giants, the Redskins, the Cowboys. Those are tough games. Mm -hmm. And this team could be a top-five team in the draft again next season. But if they surprise in some games and they fall out of that top-five for draft picks— what if they're in a situation where it's like, shit, we did too good. We did way too well Doesn't matter. to where we're not in there and we're not going to get they're probably, the quarterback we want. Unless they get Kirk Cousins somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. Which you know, I would expect. That's the one. Yeah. Like, if I'm Shanahan, that's the one I'm circling. Let's mm-hmm. pay up for or the proven vet than a rookie. They're going to you know, somehow end up with Jimmy Garoppolo or something like that. <laughs> Garoppolo. Uh, they're going to be drafting a quarterback. I don't care if they're number one yeah, overall. C- CJ I don't Beathard's care if they the somehow manage to get 32 overall. <laughs> they are drafting a quarterback. There's just no did, question did, asked. Did, did Mark just call a Super Bowl Super Niners? Is that what you call it? It's this technically year? possible. <laughs> Super Bowl They've Super got a Niners. 1 in 32 chance, technically. But the thing that I also look at is the defense. And to me, the most, the defense to me is could be the one that I look at on paper. Having the most potential. Because like you said with the offense, the wide receivers, really it's Pierre Garçon. Like Ellington's decent. I'm not going to disrespect Ellington. Goodwin is decent. But Pierre Garçon's your guy. That's the number one for yeah. this team. But I look at this defense and I go, last year, or two years ago, you add um, Armistead from the Pac-12 in Oregon. Last year from Oregon, you had DeForest Buckner you're adding another Pac-12 player this year in Solomon Thomas. You've building that line. Then you have Doomerville in the 
um, Doomerville in the linebackers. You sign Malcolm Smith over from Oakland, who Reuben Foster is going to be behind. Reuben Foster might not even play most of the season just to get him acclimated to the NFL. And you might not have to throw him in there because you do have Navarro Bowman still. You do have Malcolm Smith. And then the kind of cornerbacks is really, I look at, as the weakest one. I know you have Reed and Ward for safeties out there. But really, this defense, I feel like, is going to be just get after the quarterback. If Armistead, Thomas, and Buckner can wreak havoc with the linebackers on quarterbacks, that might make up for, I'm going to say, deficiency in air quotes for the secondary. Because like Mm -hmm. I said, out of the three levels, the secondary is the one I look at as like the, uh, that's the weakest of the three. Well, I'm interested for the defense because there's nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they were one of the worst defenses last year. Nobody gave up more points than than the 49ers did. I mean, they gave up an average of 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's embarrassing. Uh, but I look at it, and I and I look at this defensive coordinator, um, and I, I got to admit, I don't know a ton about the guy because he's kind of a mystery. Um, spent some time with the Texans, spent some time with the Seahawks. He was there when they won uh, the Super Bowl. Not as anything that special. He was a you know quality control coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, going over to Jacksonville, nobody is saying that Jacksonville has an amazing defense. Um, and then getting that defensive coordinator position under Kyle Shanahan here. And it's kind of a guy coming a little bit um, as a surprise to a lot of people who aren't super in-depth to what teams like the... Uh, you know, the depth of the coaching staff in Seattle or what the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe the people in London are big fans of this guy. Maybe. Uh, but I just look at it that way because this team needs to go up. And they're spending those draft picks. They are acquiring free agents. They're doing everything they can. But I look at it and I think, is this the guy to rely on to do it? The highest he really got was, as a from the position area was linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a linebacker coach for a little bit in Jacksonville. Um, and that's certainly something that they've kind of invested in here in, in the, in San Francisco. Uh, but it just makes me a little bit nervous that this is the guy you expect to come turn around one of well, the worst defense in the NFL. I just, I, I'm not necessarily optimistic. Well, and the thing is, this team is not, they don't have a one-year window. They don't have a two-year window. I would even say maybe they don't even have a three-year window. This team right now is all built on how do I make my offense better, and that's that's the main goal because defensively on paper, you have the pieces. Thomas has got to, like, Thomas as a rookie isn't going to come out and be J.J. Watt. He'll have to develop into a star in this league. Armistead, Buckner, you have these pieces. It's like, you know what? We've planted the seeds on defense. Mm -hmm. Let's get this offense satisfied. And I think that's the main reason Kyle Shanahan, being the OC, being the head coach now, the dual kind of role guy, he's going to bring in the quarterback that he wants to tie to to his hip that he thinks is going to win games, bringing in Pierre Garçon, has that history from Washington with Shanahan bringing in wide receivers and kind of building this offense. Because another another guy we didn't talk about, and this is the last guy I wanted to bring up, was Carlos Hyde. We yeah. saw him his rookie year 
have a solid year. That first game against my Vikings Monday night, where I was thinking, man, there's... I remember coming into that season saying that the Patrick King quote I love to say, not a chance, not a chance. The 49ers beat my Vikings oh, on Monday and night. Beat them. And they beat us. They didn't just beat us. They demolished us to where we... We looked like the color of our uniforms after that beating. That's yeah. how bad it was. I, mean, I can still remember it now what the Niners wearing their black jerseys with the red numbers on mm-hmm. it, red lettering, and their traditional just 49. Uh, it was not a good Monday night for myself because we were the late one, too. Yep. So when you had the du- you dual Monday night game and we're the late one. And of course, I stay up for it here in the central time zone, but... I want to see a resurgence from Carlos Hyde this year. I want to see him get back to that rookie season that we saw from him two years ago. Yeah. I just think when it comes to the offense, and and this is kind of my final thoughts on the 49ers, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the whole 49er team, and I'm I'm sorry to the 49ers fans, you're going to get mad at me for this, and I've already accepted it, so (laughs) feel free to yell at me. I just won't even bother. Will it be as bad as Bronco fans have hated me? I mean, Probably I, not, because I think that they understand. <laughs> at least the Broncos fans, they were coming off of a high. Uh, 49ers fans, I hope, are at least realistic. I'm not saying that this is a terrible team. I'm saying it's just mediocre across the board mm-hmm. is really what it is. I mean, you're starting from the very bottom. So there's nowhere to go but up. Sure. Start from the bottom, now we're here. You have, I mean, I do like Carlos Hyde, and I do like the potential there. Mm-hmm. But you're starting with guys like... Brian Hoyer, who has always proven to be good enough to win a few games, but not good enough to win you those games. He's not going to be the guy winning you those games. Which might be the perfect strategy for them this season. Which is totally possible. Uh, But then you have Matt Barkley, the interception machine, uh, and a rookie. Sparkles, Barkles, baby. Hey, I was excited for for (laughs) Barkley that one game. I was really excited. I was like, I'm going to buy a Matt Barkley jersey, aren't I? Uh, And then we got, you know, these... All right, wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Not like I said, not terrible. They're mediocre wide receivers. Uh, you look over to the defense, and there's a lot of these pieces that have been bought, uh, but pieces that necessarily, I don't know if they're ready to really do what we're ready for them to do. So this whole year, to me, I just look for the 49ers fans. Temper your expectations. Just say, hey, if we win five games, don't don't that's be not like bad. don't be like us and the Bears last year, ten and six, and not so much. Right? Not, they had potential on paper. Yes. Right. <laughs> so the 49ers have some pieces on paper. Just if the team wins four or five games, be, be happy. happy. You won two last year. That's the way to go up. Let your GM get another uh, year of good drafting. Let Kyle Shanahan really start to implement his system. If there's any, we, you just mentioned the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. If there's anything similar to that in those last, you know, few years, uh, I wouldn't expect half this guy, you know, like half the people you're seeing on the roster, don't expect him to be there next year. You know, just complete turnover. Not necessarily complete turnover, but it's just the, all right, we're getting some pieces. Let's see what you got. Prove it. If you don't, we're going to get somebody else and we're going to try it next year. And you just kind of start to get some of these while you build through the draft. I mean, that's what uh, Lynch has shown he wants to do is build through the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, part of that is losing at the beginning of the new era. And I mean, hey, if they can hit on draft picks and like you said, they'll be drafting a quarterback next year, especially unless they get Kirk Cousins. If they can hit on that quarterback early that's going to be a good thing for their future. But this is where you guys, we flip the conversation to you guys. Let us know down below 
in the comment section. What do you guys think coming into this year about the 49ers? Let us know down below in the comment section. But, Mark, let's move on. We're going from one bad team to another bad team in the NFC West. And I'm Not sorry, Rams fans. Away. Not that far away from each other. Rams fans, if you're on YouTube, welcome into your segment. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, thank you for sticking along with us. And we're going to preview now the Rams as we continue up the mm-hmm. ladder of the NFC West. And fun fact with this one, we just talked about mm-hmm. the team that let teams score the most points on them. This was the one that... That scored the fewest points. Yeah. So if these two teams played each other, uh, they might. I don't know. If they played each other last or year or not, if they but made it would have been great. Or if they got combined into one team, they would be the worst team in the league. It, they yeah. would score the least points and give up the most points, which they is would not what you want to do. They would go out and not do anything, yeah. But, I mean, coming into this season, I'm looking at their the new arrivals for the Rams, some of them being Connor Barwin. You're going to have Dunbar coming over, um, running back from the Cowboys. We have... For the um, wide receiver position, Robert Woods coming over from Buffalo. Really the main departure for this team are two of them, TJ McDonald in the safety and then Kenny Britt for the um, wide receiver core. And actually, before we start this, I actually found a fun fact. You knew about it, apparently, mm-hmm. before I told you. I found out that Tavon Austin has a unique and funny contract where if you look at the number the ten million five hundred and fifty five five hundred and one that he makes in a year. Yeah, it's the same backwards and forwards. I thought that was kind of funny. Also, I found out I wanna say it was the Rams that their main guy in the front office that kind of sends out the contract offers sends them out in haikus. Which because is cute. he thinks that it's a interesting take, and that you know <laughs> when your when your team is as bad as LA has been uh, in recent really years, really doesn't. It's like the Patriots aren't sending out haikus. Yeah, you gotta Super do Bowl something wins. fun. You know, it's like when you get, you really hate your job, so you put a cute cat picture up by your uh, just uh, in hanging your in there, just you know, hanging in there, Mark. At least you got that going for you. But looking at this Rams team, really the elephant in the room that we got to touch first is yep. Jared Goff. Yep. I mean, this was. Obviously, the main reason why Jeff Fisher was let go, I would say, is the handling of Jared Goff is one of them. And saying that, you know what, he's not going to start. And then a good chunk through the season, ah, you know what, he is going to start. I think it was handled poorly. Either start him early and let him get that experience or don't start him at all. Mm -hmm. You're the Rams. It wasn't like you were going to – and I'm sorry, I keep saying this to the teams that are near the bottom – when I say, like, oh, you're the Rams, you weren't going to win the Super Bowl, it's just me being honest. It's not yeah. me disparaging you and mm-hmm. your team. And, and the thing was, you didn't have to say anything at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question gets asked. Just do you. you. Know, just do is, you. Is he going to – is Jared Goff going to start? I don't know. We'll see how we'll it goes. See, we'll see how training camp goes. We'll see how the preseason goes. We'll see how practice goes. Yeah. You know, we're going to take it week by week. That's all you mm-hmm. had to do. You didn't have to make commitments and stuff like that. Once you do that, once, you have to live Because once it. you say, ah, he's not going to start – you got to stick by that. Yeah. You yeah. have to stick by that or else you look like a flip-flopper. And nobody likes a flip-flopper. But, I mean, this team, they've got, to me, like, you look at Tavon Austin, who's your number one. Farrell Cooper, who was a guy I was excited about. Now you're bringing in Robert Woods. So you're going to have Austin and Woods on the outside. You have Todd Gurley, who, to me, is a solid running back and really, I mean, really, oh, it's like this team has potential. This team has Things on paper, yeah. But the one position they needed the most, they couldn't manage at all. 
mm-hmm. and that was the quarterback position. It's so interesting to see the Rams because, and I'm sure people yelled at us already, mm-hmm. but the Rams actually are a fairly decent team on paper. When you yeah, when you look at them on mm-hmm. paper, uh, you know Tay- Tavon Austin is an awesome weapon. Todd Gurley is an awesome weapon. Jared Goff was the number one quarterback taken in his draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all these awesome pieces, and this defense. Has so many great, uh, you know, so many great additions, and someone, a guy like Aaron Donald, is a fucking Donald awesome, uh, just monster out there. You have all these awesome pieces, yet somehow you had the worst passing attack, the worst running game, and I know there's reasons for this. I know that the offensive well, line was staff. fucking abysmal, mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard to run when you're getting hit in the backfield. I yeah. get all that stuff. Uh, I'm just saying, you have all these awesome pieces, and it turned into an absolutely terrible well, season. And I mean, on the offensive line, they even bring in John Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And they bring in Andrew Withworth from Washington and Cincinnati. Um, Sullivan, I know from experience playing with the Vikings in his career. But I mean, the thing that I'm most excited about for this Rams team isn't Sean McVay, who we've talked about before and in the past, but... It's a defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, coming over. This is yeah. a coach that has had success in this league and has gone to a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. So I expect this defense to kind of pick things up and carry this team this year. Like, and I hope any they record they get is going to be because, like, I can see this team maybe being like, man, that defense is really good. If only they had an offense. If only yeah. they had a quarterback. But that's because Jared mm-hmm. Goff, I don't expect him to be amazing this year. Yeah. I just want to see improvement. I really don't think that, well, I mean, it's going to be easy it's to improve. Everyone, everyone uh, wants to see improvement. It'll be easy to improve. He barely had an opportunity last mm-hmm. year. The biggest problem for Jared Goff is going to be that he has, he doesn't really have much in terms of weapons, even though I just gave praise to Tavon Austin. Uh, one guy's not enough, and Tavon Austin really needs some help on the other side. Uh, is Robert Woods going to be able to step up? I doubt it. Um, possibly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm not gonna hold my breath on mm-hmm. it. Uh, but you know, you you don't really have these weapons to throw the ball to. Todd uh, Todd Gurley is great, but the offensive line, I don't know if it's gonna necessarily be better. You know, I don't know if he's gonna suddenly not have people in his face the mm-hmm. moment he touches the ball. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if any of that's going to be there. So I expect this defense to improve a lot under Wade Phillips, sure. And the defense wasn't obviously wasn't the worst part. The defense was the best part last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't know if there's going to be really anything for Jared Goff to utilize to make strides this year. Um, I mean, the, the offensive line kind of has to be better, right? You kind know, of. So Todd Gurley has to be able to perform better, right? You know, Tavon Austin, I don't necessarily know that it gets much better for him, but sure, Robert Woods, I mean, it's not a step in the wrong direction. Um, it's just same thing with the with the 49ers, and, I, and this is a tough podcast because these are two mm-hmm. of the teams that I'm absolutely lowest well, on. They had, these are but, two of the teams that were in the top five of the draft, and, and the, the Rams, Rams didn't, didn't even have their pick. Yeah. Corey Davis went to the Titans because— the Rams wanted Jared Goff, which mm-hmm. I mean, I even asked you beforehand, like, oh man, like I kind of look at it where it's like, do you make that trade? And of course you do. If you think Jared Goff is the guy yeah, you who's have to going do to be your quarterback, you have to do it. You have to sure up the one position that matters on your offense. But I know it's it, it it's not easy to look there and say, 
yeah, we could have got Corey Davis. We could have got that weapon. But then you look at, you know, yeah, we would have had that weapon, but no one to throw to him. Yeah. Kind of a deal. And I Maybe mean, you would have Matt Barkley or Brian Hoyer. And the bright side of the Rams is that unless you do any trades, you have your first-round pick this year. Mm-hmm. So you should have a top-five pick to maybe get a weapon. And that's going to be huge because, like we said, Wade Phillips is here. He's going to improve this defense for mm-hmm. sure. Defense was the best part of the uh, the Rams last year. Uh you're starting to improve the line. Hopefully it gets better. You'll make more additions. You'll stir it up even further. Todd Gurley's already there. Tavon Austin's there. Mm-hmm. You get that quarterback if by you know some stretch of the imagination, Jared Goff proves that no fucking way is he going to be the guy. Or you go get yourself a wide receiver. Something easy. That's what we're all kind of hoping for is that mm-hmm. they go and they get a top five, top ten wide receiver next year. And they can really, I mean, that that one addition will do so much to help this team unless it's just absolutely terrible on the offensive line and they have to go get a new tackle. They have to get a new guard, something like that. Um, but, yeah, you're really hoping for that offensive weapon to be out there. Well, and I mean, the thing that with the Rams, and I kind of feel like it's kind of like a slap in the face even to bring this up because we haven't played the 2017 season yet this year but I mean looking at the way too early mock draft that Todd McShay had had the Rams at 17th according to Football Insider and I mean that's a spot where if they're there they could have I mean you have like you had Callaway from Florida who's a wide receiver go Sutton from SMU to me that's the thing we got to get we got to get golf some weapons because the wide receivers that you've had the past few years ever like this Rams wide receiver core has not been anything since my childhood with the greatest show on turf Mm -hmm. with Isaac Bruce on one side and Torrey Holt on the other side. It hasn't been anything since then. Yeah, But I'm going to say for a way too early mock draft, it blows my mind that the LA Rams are going to be 17 well, and that's based, overall. That's based off Ooh. of the football insider numbers. And and I know that a lot of people are doing that. I mean, the, the Vikings are the number fifth team in the draft, according to that. 15? F- five. Five? Fifth. That sounds fair. <laughs> that sounds reasonable. Uh, but, I mean, it's just you look at the schedule and mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the LA Rams to really go out there and make a big splash this coming year, which really is not a problem for them because they kind of had to hit reset. After too much 7-9 and nine bullshit, they had to hit reset. I want to ask you this question, and I know this question might piss off Ram fans, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ask it anyways. All right, let's hear it. Let's say they are a top five pick. Yep. Let's say top three pick in the All draft. Right. I know that it's like, oh, if Goff does well enough, you might not do this. But based off of what we're expecting coming in, mm-hmm. if you're a top three pick, maybe even top two, do you sit there and go, let's take one of these guys. Goff is done. Or do you look mm-hmm. at it and go, let's try to trade back. Who yeah. wants a quarterback? You can get away with it only because you ended an era with Jeff Fisher. And you can really say and you can put golf into that era. Yeah, you can say this was a relic of the past. I know it trans it was a transition type of thing, but it's a relic of a pa- of gave, the past, and we're done. Gave up two firsts for right? a two. But year that's guy. the other thing. You <laughs> the reason why you really can't is because of the trade. You have mm-hmm. to accept the history. You have to accept it and uh, acknowledge it. 
your best bet is going to be, yes, trade back. But there might be a really great wide receiver that you just can't pass on. There might be mm-hmm. a really great offensive uh, lineman you can't pass on. Unless you pull off the John Lynch move of, hey, the guys right behind us want a quarterback. Or sure. they want somebody. I don't know who they want. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sure. You can pull something like that off. I mean, trading and getting more picks is always going to be mm-hmm. good. It's always going to be valuable. Hey, the Patriots but do it. If it works for them, why not work for anyone Patriots else? Patriots and Rams are in two different <laughs> areas. Uh, but, you know— Sometimes, though, you just got to make that pick, mm-hmm. too. And anything they make in that top three, that top five, is going to be worth its uh, worth their weight in gold. So, you know, hope it's a big, fat defensive lineman or something. Yeah, and I mean, this one, to me, this team is easy. Like, of course, it's like the 49ers not expecting an amazing season out of the Rams this year. The one thing I am expecting, though, is them to split with the Seahawks because they usually always do that each or at and least, every year. You know, maybe they'll tie. Maybe, maybe they'll tie. No, that's the this, Cardinals and the Seahawks. This division loves ties. They do. Well, that we like I said, we had the Cardinals and the Seahawks last year with the tie, and the Rams each and every year seem to steal one away from the Seahawks, but. The thing I'm interested to see is what's going to happen this year because I look at last year and we have a ton of games. We have 9 and 3 against Seattle, one score game, the win over Tampa, 5 point game, the win over Arizona, a 4 point game. We've got the loss at Detroit, 3 point game. Giants was a touchdown game. The Panthers was a 3 point game. Jets was a 3 point game. Miami was a four-point game, and the rest after that, after that Miami game, then they all became blowouts. That's about, what, seven or eight games mm-hmm. that I listed that, that were all one-score games. Yeah. Like, that is the thing with this team and, is, are they going to be able mm-hmm. to keep it close because of this defense back to a point that I made? But some of those teams they were facing were really, not as yeah, good were not caliber. good teams. Where I mean, you look at the beginning and you're going to play the Colts, you're going to play the Redskins, you're going to play the Cowboys, Col- Colts the will Seahawks be again. Though. Colts will be interesting. Andrew Luck's out there. He's going to score points. I know. I know. Um, you know, it's just, they're, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to repeat that. Uh, to where I will say, because I said it, you know, about the about the 49ers, mm-hmm. Rams fans, don't be upset if your team is a 4-12 and 12 team again. Why be upset about that? You, you got some draft good draft picks? pick. Yeah, get a good draft pick. Uh, refresh, because you didn't have an opportunity this past year. Um, it's not necessarily something to be upset about. Yeah. So, no. I wouldn't be upset. And is there anything with this team that you think we haven't touched on that we have to touch on? Or we have um, to touch on, not touch on. Uh, the, I mean, this isn't really much of anything, but uh, try and control the market because mm-hmm. you got competitors now. Yeah, no, try to control that market because, like, you're talking about the Chargers. Yep. Now coming over to L.A. The unwanted L.A. Team. LA yeah, and it's one of those things where it feels like the L.A. fan base is like, no, 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 we don't want them. And now, like, wait, and, wait, wait, stop it. Stop and it. now San Diego fans are like, fuck you guys. You can have them. We don't want them anymore because they deserted us. Yeah. Uh, My favorite comment is no we had the one Charger video, and someone goes, great video. Had to dislike because they left San Diego. And I get it. And I'm like, I understand. Yeah. And, I mean, Ram fans, this is where you guys let us know down below. Look out for our season predictions that will be coming up in July. You, you you know who's giving the predictions for this team, right, Mark? Right? You, you, you no, know? I don't think it's me. It's you. Yeah, you got the Rams this year. 
We're giving we're giving you the Rams. We're, we're changing. I some have things. both LA teams. Yes, you have All both right. LA teams. So Mark, Rams will fans, be... <laughs> you're not going to like me that day. That's for sure. Mark will be giving the predictions for the Rams. Had to throw that out there because uh, one of us was giving the predictions. But let us know down below in the comment section what do you guys think for the Rams coming up this season. Well, and Mark, I guess we're going to move over to a team that yet again had promise last season. Had them in my Super Bowl. The kiss of death was upon them. I had them as my Super Bowl winner. The Arizona Cardinals, and really this preview comes down to one thing. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be the year Carson Palmer brings them to the Super Bowl and doesn't get injured and doesn't have any problems whatsoever? I don't know. Well, that, that's pretty much the preview. So you guys let us know down below what you guys think. Obviously, no, we're kidding. We're going to get into this. But really, Carson Palmer, yeah. that's where we have to start with this one because – the Cardinals are kind of handicapped to Carson Palmer, and they yet again didn't go out and make any strides. They didn't do the chief method of things of like, yeah, you know what? We probably need an heir apparent. Let's trade up to go get that. They did not do that, and they even had a lesser kind of peak to climb than the Chiefs in the draft. What do you expect from Carson Palmer this year? In what could be his last year in a Cardinal uniform. Could retire. Well, the thing about Carson Palmer last year, too, was it's not a terrible year. I mean, he threw and for over just four— gets injured. Yeah, he threw for <laughs> over 4,000 yards. You know, he, he gets you 26 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Mm -hmm. It's a very typical kind of Carson Palmer type of season. Uh, of course, you know, injuries are always going to be a concern for Car Carson Palmer. That's always going to be there. The thing about Carson as well is that there's always the lingering question of, is he a guy that can get you to the next level? That was the question that we always had uh, with Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. He finally got his team to the Super Bowl. Uh, it's a team that are uh, a question that we've seen with guys like Matt Stafford, like Phillip Rivers. These are guys who are always going to be good, but the question is, can they ever elevate their team? And Carson Palmer's done a great job with the Arizona Cardinals. Unfortunately, the Arizona Arizona Cardinals have been kind of falling off uh, in recent years. But the thing about this team is nothing about them was really terrible. They had a good passing game. The running game was fairly average. Uh, they scored points. They didn't let teams score on them a ton, mm -hmm. more than you'd like, but not a ton. It was fairly uh, middle of the pack. Well, that happens when you got Patrick Pe Patrick Peterson in the backfield for you. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing we've been talking about on paper so much today. The mm -hmm. Cardinals on paper make so much sense. And that's why you picked them last year to, of course, win a Super Bowl. Kiss of death. They make death, so though. much sense. And they have for so long. Um, it just continues to be a mystery. And we've talked about it so much with Marvin Lewis mm -hmm. uh, over in Cincinnati land. But you have the win is enough enough. For a guy like Carson Palmer, mm -hmm. uh, when is enough enough where they're going to say, all right, we got to do something? That's exactly what the Chiefs did, saying Alex Smith is not really getting it done, so we got to get that next guy up, draft him, so that way we're ready to go and make a transition. And I don't want it to seem like they didn't bring any anybody in. Trevor Knight is technically on the depth chart as the fourth quarterback, but kind of as a that lesser really count. Exactly. It's kind of like the CJ Beathard conversation we had for the Niners, except. Trevor Knight's not going to play at all this year. Doesn't expect, I wouldn't expect him to even suit up. That's basically where we're at with him because Blaine Gabbert and Stanton are ahead of him. The big question I kind of look at on the other side of the ball, though, is I mentioned Patrick Peterson. 
who's going to play opposite to him? I mean, right now on the depth chart, according to ourlads.com, it's Brandon Williams. But I look at the free agency, the one that I'm looking at from NFL.com, the big arrivals that they mentioned, you've got Antoine Batea, safety, Carlos Damsby, linebacker, Phil Dawson, kicker, Jarvis Jones, linebacker, no safety there, or cornerback there, pardon me. And when I look at the draft, who were the first two guys that you drafted? Hassan Riddick, I like him as a pass rusher and a either defensive end or inside linebacker, or, and then they go at Buda Baker, who it's like, yeah, that's secondary help, but it's safety, not cornerback. And I think that that's going to be a problem for the Cardinals this year is teams are going to go, okay, Patrick Peterson's over there. Let's just throw over here. We don't have to throw to our number one target to win games. We'll throw to our number two target. That's fine. Yeah. Um, It's totally possible. I mean, you can kind of shift things around Mm -hmm. to hopefully combat that a little bit defensively. And as we all know, this is a team that knows what they're doing defensively. Um, To me, it's just that last year showed so much um, missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been a theme for, for the Cardinals, unfortunately. Even these years where they're good and they have consistently good seasons, mm-hmm. they still fall short. And Larry Fitzgerald's not going to be here forever. Yeah, you know, at some point you have to. And same thing with Carson Palmer. You have to actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. You have to go out there and you have to do it. Um, and it's tough because the Seattle Seahawks are there. Mm-hmm. You don't really have much competition from the Forty ers or the Rams. Uh, so that's not entirely concerning. It's this totally is, possible. This is the only team that can challenge the yeah. Seahawks for the top, though. And, and that's the way it's been. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's been since Harbaugh left uh, San the Francisco. Yeah. And by left, I mean was basically shown the door. Yeah. Um, and it's totally possible. They can go. They can win mm-hmm. uh, this division. They can make waves in the playoffs. Um, it's just the kind of thing where... You see last year, a year that didn't go the way that they obviously had hoped, a year where the team wasn't bad. They were not a bad team. I mean, David Johnson for uh, 1,200 yards, Larry Fitzgerald, of course, being over 1,000 yards, Carson Palmer over 4,000 yards, and yet somehow you still kind of get this mediocre 7-8-1 record, essentially at 500. Mm-hmm. Um just an overall disappointing type of season. But maybe, who knows, maybe that's the kind of thing that's going to really rev up these engines, light that fire under them and say, hey, we're not invincible. You know, we're not untouchable. People can come up and get us and they can affect us and we can lose. So maybe this is something that they needed last year. Well, and the big thing and everything that I'm looking at, I haven't seen any update to it. The last update I see is from late May when a ton of people were saying Larry Fitzgerald will talk post-2017 plans at training camp. And the thing that I look at is with his contract, because he's a big part of this offense as well, you have a club option for next year. So after this year, they have a club option for just under $5 million. However, after this season, do you think there's a good chance Larry Fitzgerald goes, yep, my career is over. I'm done. Like I, mm-hmm. I've done all I could, and you know what? Or is it? Or could you see him going one more thing of like, you know what? 
Ray's last ride. Next year's my last year. I'm going to finish out this contract all the way through. Yeah. If you guys want to take me back with the club option. He is such a team player. He is Class such a too. loyal guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hometown type of guy here. Um, you know, I I expect him to announce before he leaves, before he retires, before he calls it done. Well, I don't I'm necessarily. It, I'm assuming it with everything training mm-hmm. camp, he's going to say whether he's going to retire or not at the end yeah. of the year. And I feel like they wouldn't make a big deal about it right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Because, you know, media needs to sell stories. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like they wouldn't make as big of a deal about it if it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to retire, Larry would probably just say, yeah, I'm not going to retire. Yeah. It'd be pretty simple. So kind of feel like it has to happen. And I feel like he would give that kind of, hey, this is the end, almost out of respect Mm-hmm. You know, out of respect for all the fans, out of respect for everything he's done for football, for uh, for the Cardinals Cause, as well. Because nothing is worse from a um, front office standpoint getting to the end of the year where it's like, yep, now I'm going to leave. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. That was a need I didn't think we'd expect. Yeah. If he tells them in training camp of this year, yeah, this is going to be my last year. They have an entire year to kind of plan. Okay, we got to fill that hole. Yeah, because our next wide receiver on the on the depth chart is John Brown. Who John Brown is no pushover, but John Brown isn't Larry Fitzgerald. No one is. Um, but I, I also think it's something for the fans to of mm-hmm. letting them know it's coming to a close. This is an era that's ending. Um, you know, if you want to come say hi. Basically, you know, <laughs> it's like when they announce like two months before somebody at work is retiring. So that yep. way you got plenty of time to schedule mm-hmm. your lunch with them uh, and talk or, with them. Or I know uh, what we have. It's like, OK, two weeks they're leaving. We're going to have a party for them here in the office. Yeah. So bring in food. And you kind of have that time to where it's like, yeah, you know what? This person's leaving. I can kind of. Mm-hmm. You, you, you go by their cube, knock on the cube, kind of have that conversation with them where it's like, hey, you know what? It's been great spending time with you here at work. Yep. And um, I I kind of have a feeling that this might be the year, though, for the Cardinals where you have both Palmer and Fitzgerald walk out together. Because if Larry says at the end of like at training camp this year, yeah, this year is it. I kind of have a hard feeling mm-hmm. that Carson Palmer would be like, would I play next year knowing that yeah. my main wide receiver is not going to be there to mm-hmm. where if we draft, like if you, if a rookie falls into your lap, that's a prime rookie. Yeah. You got to build up a camaraderie with him. Or is it just like, you know what? Larry's done. I'm done. I've I'm injured. And too we, much. and we've seen it in the past with Carson Palmer too, mm-hmm. where when he knows that a team doesn't have a chance, he's done. Mm-hmm. He leaves. He gets out of that team. He gets out of that situation. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it here uh, for sure. I think that the biggest thing for the Cardinals is they honestly, they control their own destiny here. They're either going to go out there and they're going to make that one last ride or they're going to continue being this kind of uh, not impressive, disappointing um, season. Like we had last year for now, them. I expect them to come out with a little bit of fire because, I mean, the defense – most of the same guys coming back. The offense, I mean, the big thing that solidifies them is that run game with Ellington and uh, David Johnson. 
back for them. To me, it's really the big questions. Come at wide receiver. It's like with Josh Brown, is he going to be able to be the ultimate complement to Fitzgerald this year? And also Fitzgerald, is this going to be his last season? And with Carson Palmer, is he going to get injured? Is he going to retire? What kind of a year do we expect from him? Mm -hmm. This Cardinal team, I think, is on the line, though, where it's like this year I could, if you said the Cardinals, they're going to compete this year for the NFC West and make the playoffs, I'd be like, okay, I could see it. But if you said, yeah, they're just kind of going to be there and then fizzle out, I'd be like, yeah, I could see it. Like, I could see either way going for this team. And that's why, to me, with this division— they are the biggest question mark in the NFC West. Because we know the Niners and the Rams, not playoff teams, probably top 10 teams in the draft, maybe even top five teams in the draft. The Seahawks, playoff team, going to be fighting for the division and mm-hmm. looking to win a Super Bowl. But with the Cardinals, it's which way are you going to lean this year? Are yeah. you going to lean towards that we're winning the division and going for a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. or lean back towards the, yeah, we got to retool. A, yeah. a term we love to use here in Chicago. We're not rebuilding, we're retooling, guys. That's right. We're retooling. But before we move on to the Seahawks and welcome in Lars um, Russell from FieldGoals.com, any last thoughts on the Arizona Cardinals? Um, just that it'll be a very uh, sad day when Larry Fitzgerald does retire. No, it will be. And one of the most respectable players in the NFL. And that's going to be one where it's like he is a Cardinal through and through. And, Cardinal and he probably should are, have left a million times. Maybe, but this is probably, I, I'm assuming this might be the last year for mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald. And he might at training camp say, yeah. yeah, you know what, I'm done. And just for anyone that wants to yell at me, it's because the man deserves a ring and you didn't give, <laughs> you didn't give him one. He does deserve He, he, he had, deserves it. Hey, I will defend that because he should have had his chance. But, but does he was, have it? There was, wait, there was that one call in that Super Bowl against the Steelers where it was a block in the yeah. back and it should have been called, but it wasn't. But cherry picking, Ricky. Cherry, cherry picking. picking. That's right. That's right. But they should have had that Super Bowl against the Steelers. I was actually rooting for them mm-hmm. in that Super Bowl. But this is where you guys, Cardinal fans, let us know down below in the comment section. What do you guys expect coming into this season? Mark and I, this has kind of been like the tone I've been feeling during this segment is kind of like a mourning segment. Like we're mourning this Cardinal team before the season even starts. Let us know down below what you guys think. And Mark, it is time to close up the podcast. We're going to do it like we do every time. The team that was the best last year in the division. We are ending with that team. And we got a special guest for the Seahawks segment here of our NFC West preview. And we're going to be welcoming in Lars Russell from fieldgoals.com, an SB Nation site for all your Seahawk news and everything you need to get ready for the Seahawks all year round. Lars, how are you doing this evening? Well, that's good. That's good. I'm just causing trouble on the internet, you know, like usual. <laughs> are, are, aren't we all right now? Aren't we all getting ready for this season? But I want to start with kind of an outside view. And I know that I know you mentioned before we hit the record button that, hey, you know what? Maybe Seahawk Nation might be a little annoyed with this topic and might be looking past this topic. But for people on the outside, I'm still thinking about it, even being a Vikings fan and The big thing I want to start with when we talk about the Seattle Seahawks is what's going on with this team's chemistry? Because during the offseason, we're like, will Richard Sherman get traded? Will he not get traded? 
What's going on with Pete Carroll? How does he have a strangle on this team and the chemistry where I'm looking at it and it's getting a little bit wonky from an outside view? Let's start with Richard Sherman. Do you think that at any time this season, off season, during the season, are we going to see a opportunity where it's like, yep, you know what? Wow, Richard Sherman just got traded from the Seahawks. Well, I don't think they're going to trade him during the season. Um, and I wouldn't expect them to trade him. At this point, it seems like they've explored that and moved on from it. You know, their asking price, according to kind of like the whispers around it, were was very high. They wanted very high draft picks and players back. And teams don't have that. They didn't have that before the draft, and they certainly don't have that now. Um, Seattle values Richard Sherman a lot. I know Pete Carroll has spoken very highly of him during the offseason, so it doesn't sound like they wanted to get rid of him. It was just more a matter of explain, uh, exploring you know, change of venues for both sides. I don't think the, the chemistry problem, um, you know, will directly affect the team. I don't think it's that new, to be honest with you. I think that Pete Carroll has run an organization that is mostly open to dissent, whether that be critical players criticizing coaches, as Richard Sherman did, or players disagreeing with one another. They've done so openly, and they've done so kind of behind closed doors as anonymous, you know, sources depressed. We heard 2014 that some players didn't like uh, Russell Wilson. We've heard that Mar- uh, Marshawn Lynch was uh, – uh, disruptive and, and uh, kind of a nuisance to the coaching staff, and that was set an issue in his departure from the team. But through that all, Seattle has continued to succeed and played through that. I think Richard Sherman's uh, attitude was a little bit aggravated by injuries last year and kind of the ghosts of things that you know we've seen described in the press. He's upset about the Super Bowl from two years ago. He's upset that Seattle hasn't capitalized on that since. And that does raise questions as far as the narrative of, of Pete Carroll. As you mentioned, you know, when he came into the league, uh, people question whether he uh, had the stamina to, to go as a pro coach where you're dealing with the same players for more than three or four years. And uh, I think when he won the Super Bowl, had a lot of success with the Seahawks, most people assume that those questions were erased. Well, we're only now at that point in the timetable since they won the Super Bowl in the fourth year uh, that it would have been, you know, if you move past the first class of players that like he had at USC. And at that time, again, like, just like the Seahawks have had the last few years, there was a lot of success that went to bowl games, but they didn't have the same quite high level of national dominant success. And it's possible that we can see this as a crossing point in Pete Carroll's future with the Seahawks. But I think that uh, the culture he's built there makes that not quite as likely. Um, but it's going to be a fascinating time if it becomes a transition point for him. Well, I mean, that's the thing that I thought of kind of this week coming into it was when it comes to the chemistry question and Pete Carroll, I kind of thought to myself, like, okay, well, we kind of saw this similar kind of story kind of play out when he was with the Trojans, where, I mean, towards the end, it was, or towards the beginning, it was great. They were doing well. Towards the middle, gets that national championship kind of exposure. We have the whole 30 for 30 with the, um, I want to say it was the Matt Leinert and the Lendell White kind of um, USC Trojans, where everything was great. Reggie Bush out there. And then towards the end, the chemistry got kind of weird, of course, with the um, rules and the sanctions that were broken and put on USC, he was able to get out in time, joins the Seahawks, and I'm I'm kind of sitting here going, are we seeing the same thing kind of play out here in Seattle? Are mm-hmm. we seeing it, Mark? And, and, I mean, I think you, you might have some of it, but, uh, you know, kind of similar to what Lars was saying, of when you encourage that uh, dissent, when you encourage the players to be able to speak up, I feel like in college, I don't I don't think you can be able to get away with that really in college because mm-hmm. you don't want these young kids speaking up too much. But at least you can kind of push them out and you can get rid of them. 
after a few years. In the NFL, when you got some of these stars like Richard Sherman, uh, Michael Bennett, Russell Wilson, although Russell Wilson's not really the guy to talk up, uh, these are the kind of guys who you can't really get rid of Richard Sherman without causing waves and causing problems. Uh, so that's going to be kind of a, an issue to begin with. Uh, but I think that another thing that I don't I don't want to say that people don't talk about it because they do, uh, but it's just kind of something that gets forgotten about sometimes is the good fortune of early in Pete Carroll's uh, career with the Seahawks was having so many players on young rookie contracts mm-hmm. uh, that now is when it started getting difficult, you know, because now is when you really got to pay your big guys like a Richard Sherman or Russell Wilson, things like that. You got to pay up for some of these people. Um and it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult to ha- maintain success. So we shouldn't be surprised, and people on the outside shouldn't be super critical of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, not just being a huge dynasty. I mean, how difficult is it to pull that off? Uh, but what I really wonder for the Seahawks is, you know, and Lars probably has a better idea of this, being more of his ear to the ground for the Seahawks community, are people kind of sick of this are people okay with the players speaking up anonymous sources or do they wish people would just kind of shut up and that they would have uh, Pete Carroll kind of tightening the crew a little bit well I've encountered both kinds of responses amongst the Ox fans you know on social media some people uh you know view this as kind of contrary to the culture of football and rather see guys who are just out there for the game and doing what they need to for the team and and I think Seattle does have that kind of community of players but because of their encouragement to be you know individuals um, I think another segment of Seahawks fans that tend to embrace that, not just the individuals themselves, but the kind of uh, aura around the team that they're going to be colorful, they're going to be outspoken, they're not going to be on the leash from the team the way so many boring pro athletes are. And so I think a lot of people look at this as, hey, look, uh, these are the group of guys that we got. We like them. We enjoy rooting for them. Like, you know, let's see if we can see how they get along um, and aren't as worried about, you know, the conservative conformity of uh, pro football culture, you know, because I think when people get excited about the Seahawks teams, if you're, if you're on the board with them, uh, I think people enjoyed the way that they were supposedly changing the NFL, the way that they practiced a defense-oriented run for football. And the same thing goes down to the culture of it. And so, you know, the fans, there's always going to be fans who, who uh, don't like players making, you know, putting themselves before the team or celebrating after sacks or whatnot. I mean, I think for a younger generation of people, that stuff's fun. It's part of the game. The NFL changed its rules this year to allow celebration after touchdowns in various plays, which they, they were forbidding reformers, stacking up mad fines. And so and people are starting to appreciate this kind of new brand of football where players can be themselves, and, and this falls in line with that. I think Seahawks fans, you know, it'll change if they start losing. Um, but so far, it's worked. Well, and the one thing I'm glad you brought up, the celebration and kind of what you were talking about, because when the year the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl, that year going up, and they played uh, Denver in the Super Bowl. I remember that season. I was just in awe and loved the defense for the Seahawks. And the main reason why I loved them that year is just the kind of, like the only word I can use to describe it is that swag that they had. Where it was like, we're the Legion of Boom, we're LOB. They had this kind of confidence to them. Kind of like the only thing that I can think of like when I think about that is maybe like the same kind of confidence that like we've seen in other sports, like with the fad, the fab five, a group of players with that confidence. And like, you know what? You ain't going to beat us. Try to throw on us. We're going to lock you down. We're going to beat you up in the trenches. And I kind of think if 
they want like if the Seahawks want to get back to that Super Bowl pedigree, they need to get back to that. And we've seen a little bit too much, I know, with the mark you mentioned, the contracts where it's like, you know what, you gotta start paying these players because everyone wants their fair share of the money. The one position though I want to ask you about, Lars, and it's one that you mentioned was the run game. And I know the offensive line has been um a question for the Seahawks, but this year coming in, I mean, you guys lose Marshawn Lynch. He retires. Now he's come out of retirement. He's now with the Raiders. And you guys have, I know you brought in Eddie Lacy, and he's done the P90X, and he should be ready to go weight-wise. But what are you guys as fans thinking about with the Seahawks where it's like, you know, we got Rawls, we got Lacy, C.J. Procise was someone out of Notre Dame. I was like, man, this kid's going to be good. And then he got injured, and I was upset for that as kind of like an outside fan. So what would you say is the big thing for the run game this year to get going if, let's say, the offensive line still has struggles like it did last year? The offensive line issues were, I think, a big portion of what went wrong last year. I mean, the previous year, uh, Marshawn Lynch didn't play much at the time. He was injured about half the year, and they had a rookie, Thomas Rawls, an undrafted free agent that year, who really exploded and and was able to, uh, you know, gained one of the highest yards per carry in the league. And, you know, if you're into advanced stats, he had a uh, football outsider's highest UIAR for any running back um, that qualified. And so he was able to run with more or less, a, you know, a, a disappointing offensive line performance that year. But they changed some some phases last year, moved some other guys to different positions. And uh, it seemed to – what it seemed to do was uh, is take away from the power driving in the run game, zone blocking systems that Tom Cable has made it's kind of unique. Uh, I mean, it's not unique in the league, but the way that Seattle runs it, dependent on a certain style of movement. And uh, for some reason, last year it totally failed. And uh, Rawls, the same guy, even though he was dealing with some injuries, he was getting stuff, you know, two and three yards behind the line of scrimmage rather than able to explode through holes. So I think that will characterize a lot of it. Uh, I think the actual talent in the backfield, though full of question marks, you know, Eddie Lacy, if he gets in way and he gets in shape and he's able to perform within the offense, you know, I think he could be a dynamic player. Thomas Rawls has been that kind of player in his first year as a career, and he, after he comes back from a healthy offseason for the first time ever, uh, he may be that kind of player again if they can block for him. I'm glad you mentioned Procise. I mean, he's a guy who I was checking it out today. I mean, people in Seattle are really interested to see who's going to be like the last receiver left off the depth chart because mm-hmm. that's how fine grain people like to look at it. Um, and people are worried about who's going to cut there. CJ Procise is a guy who not only uh, was the uh, the leading rusher in the two games he started this season before he went out with a broken uh, like uh, shoulder blade, he uh, he he had a 90% catch rate and his uh, catches per or yards per target was uh, more than 10 and a half. So this is a guy who can play on third downs as a running back, was enormously successful when healthy, and he can stand up as a receiver out there. So he can play basically two positions for the Seahawks. I think their backfield. You know, if uh, Rawls and Lacey can stay healthy and Prozis contributes, you know, both in the passing game, they have a lot of richness there if they can get protection for those blocking schemes and for Russell Wilson. Last year, it was a little bit of a disappointment in the run game because of that offensive line, obviously. Um, But I think that it's interesting to see because they've been setting it up since that kind of last year um, with – uh, Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson and who was going to really be the leader who was mm-hmm. going to take over uh, a lot of the t- conversations and maybe some of it might you know people might want to say they were unfair conversations was that Russell Wilson was going to take the team from Marshawn Lynch you know he was going to sit back and that was when some of those trade rumors and stuff were going around as well 
uh, they were really going to give the team to Russell Wilson. And you you look at it and you look at uh, how this team was stronger passing the ball than they were running the ball. And there's obvious factors to that with the offensive line, with Russell Wilson's ability to scramble and extend plays um, better than pretty much anybody uh, with maybe the exception of Aaron Rodgers in the league. So you have you have all that to consider. Um, my, my thought is for this coming season, I'm interested to see if we can expect kind of going back to that classic they're going to run the ball. They're going to pound it on your, down your throat, and Russell Wilson's not going to throw it that often. Or if they are going to continue letting Russell Wilson be this uh, you know, top five type of quarterback, let him be one of those leaders in the NFL now, um, which is kind of the thing that it feels like they've been toying with for so long, uh, just kind of completely handing over control. I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, you would think that, having success with some of those young uh, running backs and then getting Eddie Lacy, who rookie year, Eddie Lacy looks like he was the next best mm-hmm. best running back. Um, you know, so it's kind of uh, looks like they might be going back to that running game a little bit more than the passing game. But to me, when it comes to comes to this, it, nothing matters. I say this to Ricky all the time because he's a Vikings fan. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters if you don't fix your offensive line. No, and that's exactly it. And I mean, the one question that I was kind of formulating in my head, then I'm like, okay, I got to ask Lars this. I got to ask him because he's the Seahawk insider. I'm glad you kind of mentioned, like, which route they're going to go. And the one guy I look at had a better season last year than he had in 2015, increased his touchdowns by four, had about almost 350 more yards than he did the previous season. Of course, that comes when you get 20 more targets and about 20 more receptions than you did the um, year before. But the one guy I kind of look at in this receiving game from as an outsider looking in is Jimmy Graham. And, I mean, he's a guy you traded the Seahawks for. You gave up, to me, a guy who was your center and kind of solidified that offensive line. You give up Unger, you get Jimmy Graham. It was kind of rocky at first. Last year was you can deal with about a nine nine and a half hundred yard nine hundred and fifty yards and about six touchdowns. That's a pretty good season. But with him coming up on free agency this offseason after this season, you also have Paul Richardson, who's gonna be another guy in the receiving core that is going to hit free agency after this season. When it comes to the receivers, Lars, what are we looking at? Let's look past this 2017 season. What do you need to see from the receiving core to kind of gauge, like, okay, who are we bringing back and who are we giving money to? Well, I think those two things are, are very interrelated because, like, as you mentioned, Jimmy Graham, uh, when he was acquired, you know, in this trade with New Orleans, it very much represented the question of what the Seahawks were going to be going forward. Are they going to be more of a passing team? You know, previously Seattle had relied on uh, – uh, tight ends that were pretty good at catching, uh, but were mostly known for their blocking because they were so reliant on the running game. Jimmy Graham was a guy who was a former basketball player. He was a great, you know, prolific receiver in New Orleans, but he wasn't known for his physical blocking, and that was a challenge to Seattle's dynamic on the offensive line. Not to mention they also got rid of their all-pro center. 
so, you know, this was essentially a decision from the team to move away from the reliance on, on pounding the ball with Marshawn Lynch and giving Russell Whip, Wilson some weapons. And, uh, and so I think we'll continue to see uh, that movement going forward. I think Seattle wants to surround Russell Wilson with agents to let him succeed because they've spent so much money on him. You guys keep bringing up the kind of the burden of the increasing contracts that Seattle has had to deal with, which I think for the most part depleted their depth because they've signed most of their big guys. Um, just, they just haven't quite had as much in reserve to have, you know, the all-star caliber second stringers like they did in 2013. And then again, they've neglected to pay the offensive line. So, you know, I think Seattle will continue to focus on the run like they have in years past. So that's Pete Carroll's ideal style of playing football. It's a way to control a game. He wants to really dominate physically the other team, and running is the way to do that. Um, but, you know, I think there's no question that going forward, Seattle wants to rely on Russell Wilson, and, and they'll rely on him in the clutch when they need him, as they have all along. And uh, I think whenever they struggle with blocking or anything else, they'll kind of let him loose. One of the surprises, if you look at Russell Wilson's stat with a little bit of a comb the last few years, is he's had uh, – uh, more passing attempts in the games when they've had struggle pass blocking because I think Seattle has uh, been reluctant to run the ball into the teeth of guys like Aaron Donald coming downhill. And so Russell Wilson almost ends up getting more attempts um, the worse his blockers are. So it kind of works together. If the offensive line plays well, Seattle can play the system that it would like, which is a ground-based system. But the better Russell Wilson plays, the more success they'll have overall. And Lars, we've been talking for quite a bit on the Seahawks. I'm going to just kind of... The last question I kind of want to ask you has to deal with this season and kind of bringing in the entire division as a whole, a division that Mark and I have talked about for this entire podcast. We look at this upcoming season. The 49ers probably aren't going to compete this year. They've got new coach coming in. They had Lynch coming in first draft class. They got to situate everything. The Rams, new coaching staff. We still need to see what we want to see from Jared Goff to see if they have anything going in um, L.A. And then you look at the Cardinals. They were one of my Super Bowl picks to be in the Super Bowl last season, and they didn't even get anything going, going 7-8-1 and one last year as well. And I know that their big thing has to deal with Carson Palmer and what his future is for that team. But as a Seahawks fan... How do you think this year is going to go for the Seahawks? Of course, they're the overwhelming favorite to win the division, but how do you see this season going, and how long do you think that this team can have success winning the division based off of the teams that are behind you guys and kind of the struggles that we see from the rest of this division? Well, I think Seattle kind of tries to owe, kind of owes itself to try to, to definitely win the division this year, and you know, the way things are, they're on the track to keep winning it, um, you know, barring like a really, you know, a pickup of a really surprising player, player that kind of jumps onto the league by one of the other teams. I mean, I, I you know, I think we have every reason to trust that uh, Shanahan and McVay down in L.A. and San Francisco can bring some improvements to their team. Um, but the way John Snyder has constructed the Seahawks, I think they, they should be able to, you know, like you said, they're losing Jimmy Graham's contract. They're going to be losing some of the big contracts. Cam Chancellor is a free agent after this mm-hmm. year, and he's been one of those kind of transitional or, or kind of like uh, uh, keystone players for them, but he's also, you know, aging, and he's at a position that doesn't last that long in the league. So Seattle will have to make some key decisions, but I, they haven't given us any reason to doubt that they will uh, keep improving going forward. And uh, the Super Bowl window is still open. I think that's the standard they hold themselves to. Uh, I think they can still, if they can get into the top seeds of the NFC, they have a chance this year, and they'll continue to do so. But, you know, if the offensive line doesn't gel, if Pete Carroll starts to lose the players, you know, there's always a lot of drift in the NFL, and this is a, a crucial time for the Seahawks. 
Well, and then Lars, the last thing I have you have to do is let everyone know. Give me a few seconds of uh, let all the fans know where they can find your work, where they can follow you on Twitter, and where they can catch everything Seattle Seahawks from Lars Russell. For sure. Well, the best place for any Seattle Seahawks news anywhere is Field Goals. as SB Nation's uh, fan site for Seattle Seahawks news, and we've got a lot of great writers there, uh, really excellent kind of video breakdowns of plays from last year to show you how the Seahawks offense and defense works and also draft picks coming in, new free agents. Samuel Gold had a thing earlier this week on Eddie Lacy and how he's going to fit in the uh, Seattle's offense. So there's a lot of detailed uh, Seahawks breakdowns there as well as a lot of fun reporting and, and colorful stuff. You can find me there as well as tons of other writers and videographers. And then uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Beat Valley, Beat underscore Valley. And then, of course, there's lots of Seahawks news on that field goals and lots of cool uh, people communi- uh, communicating in that, I guess, Twitter community and so on. So all over the Internet, you know what it is. And if you guys are like, well, Ricky, I don't want to go out and actually search for it myself, it's all going to be in the description. Lars's Twitter, at Field Goals, the SB Nation site for all your Seattle Seahawks news. And, Mark, another week, another preview here on the Onside Kick, kind of wrapping everything up. I want to thank you guys. If you're on YouTube, watching us in the individual segments, or if you're on Blog Talk Radio, catching the whole thing as a whole on MVP.com. I want to thank you guys for checking us out today. You can follow Mark and I on Twitter at Ricky Widmer and at the with two E's, Mark Weber. Most Valuable Podcast is at Most Valuable Pod. Going to thank you guys one last time for checking us out today, and as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.